And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me on the phone line today is Pastor Bill Shishko, pastor of Franklin Square Orthodox Presbyterian Church on Long Island. Bill, it's really nice to have you here with us today. Hey, it's great being back with you again, Dan. Bill, you're one of the advisors here at Redeemer, so we have a special endearment to our dear brother, Bill Shishko. Um, Last week, we had the privilege of uh, interviewing your son, Jonathan, and we were just delighted to see what the Lord is doing through that young man. And so here now, we're interviewing you, the dad. And so today's subject is regarding God's church, and in particular, the officers who help run the church and pertain to these spiritual matters, uh, how a church is conducted and how it ministers to other people and how it keeps itself accountable and and all of that. So, Bill, maybe you can get us started today talking about officers in the church. Great. Yeah, well, I think, first of all, Dan, people have to have clear views of what we mean by office in the church. We, We live in a we live in a culture in which every each person calls himself or herself a minister of this or that or the other thing, and then you've got people who say they you know only the Lord Jesus is their pastor and, and that kind of thing. And I think there, people need to get fixed in their minds, so to speak, that God has ordained well two basically two offices for a for a healthy church. Uh, one that I won't that I won't deal with today is are the, the deacons who handle essentially temporal matters, the, the budget and building and so on. And that, that's, um, that's given in Acts chapter 6. Uh, that's, most people believe that's probably where the, the diaconal office, as we know it in, in the New Testament, began because of the several references to the Greek word diakonos there. And, and, uh, and, and then in 1 Timothy 3, you have specific qualifications for these deacons. But for our purposes today, we're dealing with elders, and um, you know, there's two ways you can you can look at this. One is that you have kind of two orders of the offices. Um, one elder whose work is is rule. The elders who rule well are worthy of double honor, especially. But then, but then another order, especially those who labor in the word and teaching. It's sometimes called a two and a half office view. Uh, the other that's more common, at least in, in, in my denomination, the OPC, is to take that order of elder that um, also takes in itself the diaconal office and is completely given over uh, to prayer and the ministry of the Word and so on. Uh, those we call ministers. Um, so, yeah, at least among Presbyterians, usually speak of ministers or teaching elders, ruling elders and deacons. But 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 people have to get in mind that a that a, a well ordered church is not run by one individual who's a localized pope, and it's not run by a democratic vote of the congregation. Uh, it's 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 rule in the name of Christ by men who are called out to that work, and, and at least one of those men is given over especially to prayer and to preaching and teaching. That's helpful. You're already addressing a lot of the questions that, that would be raised in a discussion like this, and I'm thinking also um, to our East and Northeast, the tradition of congregational churches and all of that. Our focus is rather narrow today, and it's we're just sticking strictly with uh, the scripture and what would kind of naturally drive, I believe, from those passages. Yeah, interesting comment. Dan. Just a, just a little note. Um, see, when 
when well, it's not a history lesson today, but when when congregationalism grew on the American soil, which was you know, basically the the seventeen hundreds, um, and and became dominant in the Northeast uh, in the early eighteen hundreds. One of the uh, one of the Scottish writers who was a Presbyterian but was an expert in church government spoke of that as what he called the way of our New England brethren, because this whole idea that that the congregation essentially makes all the decisions in in, in church life was regarded as just aberrant. Uh, not that they weren't Christians, but because so, he said the way of the New England brethren, but it was not even what the congregationalism was like. Uh, that had essentially been been developed under under John Owen and others. So mm. that's that's a, that's a different. <laughs> it's a distinctly American type of of church government. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's helpful. So let's focus on um, what the scriptures have to say about those who rule in the church and those who teach in the church. Don't know where to start? Why don't you choose? <laughs> well, I think the easiest place to start is in Acts chapter twenty. And, and remembering that none of the events that are, are mentioned in the book of Acts are, are random. They all have a particular purpose in laying the foundation for the Church as a whole. Um, I, I think it just it's fascinating that <laughs> the book of Acts records toward the end of it um, the Apostle Paul going, on this, going to this rather obscure island uh, in the Mediterranean, um, in which, for as your listeners know, uh, they, they was, Paul was was ship, shipwrecked there. The island, of course, is Malta, and uh, and yet the gospel goes to that land. And you wonder why so much time in that. Well, the the, the Old Testament is very specific. I guess I appreciate this ministering on an island, Long Island, that even the islands will be waiting for the law of God and for the gospel of God. And and so there's that record there showing how specifically God is beginning to fulfill his promises. Anyway, in Acts 20, uh, Paul is also on an island, Miletus, and he calls for, interestingly, the elders, plural, of the church that was in Ephesus, which was on the coast of what we know of today as Asia Minor. And they come and meet him, and Paul lays out essentially the charter of what elders are to do in the church. The apostolic office is going to pass with the death of the of the apostles. And here you have Paul using this example. He says, you remember my example when I labored among you. And essentially he says, well, now you're going to carry this out. And, and the key phrase that he uses there um, after describing his ministry um, is he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, literally among which the Holy Spirit has made you bishops or overseers to care for or to shepherd the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I think there's few verses in the New Testament that are, <laughs> that are so jam-packed with doctrine there. Um, he talks about he talks about, uh, as, as Paul will tell Timothy as well, take heed to yourself and to your teaching. Here, though, these these elders are what we'd probably call ruling elders, and he says, take heed to yourselves and to the flock. Uh, they're to, in the name of Christ, shepherd the flock. And, and when he says, and we'll come to this later, this statement, among which the Holy Spirit has made you bishops, Bishop term bishop is a function. They oversee the flock. And we need to ask the question, how 
does the Holy Spirit make them overseers? But the point is, they shepherd the Church, and it's a powerful statement. The Church, uh, in most translations, have of God, which He, that is, which God obtained with His own blood. It's a powerful statement of the deity of Christ. God, God purchased the Church with His blood. But also, penetratingly, what he's saying is the church is not ours. Uh, I always have a, at best, ambivalence about the phrase, my church. I always tell people it's not my church. I, I, it's Christ. He purchased it, and I don't believe in stealing. But, but that would be kind of the heart of what we're dealing with, with the work of elders. Yeah, that's a wonderful passage that you brought our attention to, where it does say, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. As a as a member in the church, uh, I'm also an elder, but as a member, it, it would mean so very much to me to know that my leadership is uh, watching out for their own souls, but they're also watching out for mine, and, and they're, they're, they're caring for me, uh, whether I'm sick or I've fallen as, as a Christian brother, um, they are there to help, come alongside, encourage, um, instruct, challenge, and all of this. Um, this is an en- an endearing concept, it seems. Yeah, that's, it's a very good point. It's easy to look at that and individualize it. Each each individual elder needs to take heed to himself, and it's certainly true. But actually, I think what the text is saying is exactly what you're describing. There's a corporate responsibility. And one of the privileges that that my family and I have had over many years is a visit each year from uh, at least one of our elders, and they, uh, you know, they would they would meet with our children individually. We raised six, so that was a whole <laughs> a whole <laughs> nice project for them. And then I can remember when the the one elder that would would visit most of those years, he would say, "Well, now, Bill, you go put uh, go put the children to bed. I'm going to sit down. We're going to have a a chat with your wife." And uh, Margaret was just free to open up, and I, mm. when I'd finally come and sit down, if there was anything that was of concern, she knew she had the liberty to bring that up, and the elder would, would graciously deal with me about it. Usually it was because of scheduling things and being too busy. But those were cherished times for our family, in which he was basically helping not only me, but us, to take heed to ourselves. Mm. It's beautiful. Well, uh, people need to be shepherded and they want to be shepherded. We have the great shepherd uh, of the sheep, our Lord Jesus Christ, so we become, I guess, kind of um, small little shepherds under him. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And that's a profound concept. I I remember once I was was, uh, with a a lady from upstate New York who is one of the leading shepherdesses (laughs) in the East Coast, Mm -hmm. and I think she's a Cornell graduate, and I was, amazingly, I had just finished preaching from uh, from John 10 on Jesus as, as the Good Shepherd, and I was loaded with questions of, of her. And I remember asking her what is really a touchy question for shepherds, uh, are, are sheep really stupid? <laughs> and, <laughs> and and she said, and, and your, you and your listeners can try to figure out the difference here. She said, well, no, they're not stupid. But she said, sheep are constitutionally unable to make decisions on their own. And if they get their neck in a fence or something, they don't know what to do to get mm-hmm. out. Um, so I backed off from using the word "stupid," realizing their respective sheep. But but the, but that's a fascinating concept. Um, the Bible says, "All we like sheep have gone astray; we've turned everyone to his own way." Whereas the shepherd's role is to is to not 
not lead the sheep in his, in his own way, but rather to so represent Christ mm. and his voice that you want people to follow Jesus as the good shepherd. Mm. Thinking about the elders of the church and the bishop, sometimes they're called bishops right. you mentioned, the First uh, Timothy 3 passage, it talks about these elders and what God expects them to have as characteristics in their lives. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit yeah, about that. Sure. Uh, massive topic. I, I, I think um, the term, okay, the term elder, which is the, the common one that we use, is really a, a title for the office. And, and of course, um, even even in the civil world, um, you have the, the, the elders were those who were looked to for leadership in a community. That's where the I don't know what we use it much in New York anymore, but at least in New England was where I was brought up. There was the term an alderman, mm. and an alderman represented a, a smaller area of a town, and that's that's simply the English version of elder man. Um, so you have uh, you know you have the elders of the of the tribes of Israel that would meet, and and that concept. Uh, which is really embedded in wise cultures. You, you, you look to the wise ones. That concept is taken up by the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I think arguably probably Exodus 18 is, is, is maybe where this originated, but that's, that's, that, you know, that's debated. But anyway, but, you know, where, where, where Moses is to judge hard cases, but then he's to pick competent men to help him with the lesser ones. I think I think at least there you have seminally the concept of, of an elder. Anyway, um, so the so the, the the elder describes the the office. You respect him. Um, bishop describes the work of oversight, particularly the doctrine and the morals of the people. Now, rightly, First um, Timothy three and Titus one lay out the qualifications for an elder, and and, and I think. Before anything is said about them, it's clear these are not optional characteristics. Paul says, if anyone aspires or desires the office of an overseer or a bishop, he desires a noble task or a good good work. Is actually it. therefore an overseer must be above reproach or blameless. And um, there are churches that will play fast and loose with these standards. I know we can set the bar too high, but some churches disregard these, and that term must be is a strong word. Jesus says you must be born again. If, if I were to say being born again is uh, is optional, huh, I would be accused rightly of heresy. Well, here the elders must have these qualifications, um, and the first one is blameless, which doesn't just mean you can't bring a charge against him. I think you can make the case that a blameless one, biblically, and this is a beautiful concept, is someone who listens to what the Word of God says and does it. Um, One of the passages in Isaiah um, that speaks of Christ and and his development as to his humanity, um, it, it says, you know, I've not been dull, but my ear you have opened. So... Frankly, a blameless man is someone, if you point out to him, say, you know, this conduct is not really according to God's word, and that person repents of that and, and really changes it, um, that, that, in my opinion, is at least baseline of, of, what, of what blamelessness is. 
Okay, yes. So what if somebody maybe confuses the idea of, well, I expect my elder to be perfect. Um, how, would you, how would you handle that? <laughs> well, the person is desiring an idol. The only perfect man, the God-man, was Jesus. And, and, and that is, of course, that's the stumbling block for people here. The elder must be blameless. Well, who is other than Christ? Yeah. Um, that's why I, I think we need to dig carefully when we deal with that. I mean, you know, well, of course, the Bible talks about love covering a multitude of transgressions, which people have to do with with their elders and their deacons. But but the but commonly people will say of this, you can't bring a charge against him. Um, he's not someone who has an ongoing pattern of, of of drunkenness or of or of womanizing or something. My only problem with that is is you know quite frankly who you know, who wants to have somebody of whom the best you can say is I can't bring a charge against him. Yes. And I think the standard is is really higher there. And and, and I'll go back to this a little bit. The reason why particularly for a minister, but for all elders, they've got to be people who are blameless and they listen. You know, I'll give you an example. Let, let's say in an elders meeting, you have to speak with an elder because he's become intemperate in his speech. And, okay, did he sin when he was intemperate with his speech? Yes. You mention it to him, and he immediately repents. He immediately asks for forgiveness. He's immediately broken. Well, that's blamelessness in, in, in God's sight. You know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And, and I think, Dan, the reason that is so important is that those who preach and teach the Word and those who rule in the name of Christ, they've got to, first of all, be hearers of the Word of God. They've got to be people who show that, that they, they are, first of all, listeners, not speakers, okay? And that's also a very important uh, biblical concept. You know, if they won't hear you, then take in one or two witnesses. If they won't hear you, tell the church. So, a big topic, and then we've got more to do on it, but that's, to me, very important. Yes, so the elder um, will have faults. He will not be perfect, but he'll certainly be striving to love God, you know, no. you mentioned this, that love covers a multitude of transgressions, and it seems that um, this is the, the, the very important ingredient. Um, this, this elder probably is not perfect, you know, in, in, in the sense of he's got everything, all of his ducks in a row, but um, when there's love, what a difference that makes in a congregation. Oh, exactly. And I find it interesting that the Apostle Paul, even in Romans 7, um, Paul was what we would call a universal bishop or a universal elder as an apostle, and he served in many churches. Elders, as we know them, are called out from among a particular, from within a particular congregation, shepherd the among you flock of God. But here in Romans 7, I mean, Paul says the good things, and he's speaking as a Christian here, the good things I want to do, I find myself not doing them. The things I, I don't want to do, I find myself doing them. And that holy transparency by a minister, by an elder, is critical. Um, someone, you know, a man comes into me and he's struggling, you know, with lust, as all men do, and it's liberating. You don't have to 
take out all your dirty laundry, but to say, listen, I'm a man of, of like passions with you, and I struggle with these things. That's liberating when people can have one of their overseers tell them that, and then from his own experience draw how he puts to death the yes. needs of the body and so on. Uh, I, I, in my opinion, that has been a, a very salutary change in, in in our understanding of elders in the last you know say the last thirty or forty years used to be elders would be kind of could be kind of aloof and distant and and so on it was you know you keep this kind of professional air but that's not healthy no people no people need to know they can open up to you and you will to them in, in a gracious in a gracious way mm. now there there's one little uh, word here that stood out in the in the portion you were sharing from First Timothy three about um, this elder not being quarrelsome. And right. I, I'll bet you have seen it. Um, sometimes young men, and God bless young men, they're strong and, you know, they, they know what they believe, and maybe they've just recently, in the last couple, two, three years, become familiar with, with how some people might say the doctrines of grace or whatever, and they feel that they need to correct everybody who who just hasn't arrived yet, just don't see it their way. Um, can you talk a little bit about that of not being quarrelsome? I would do it. I do it with great remorse because that's too much, Dan. What my early ministry was like. I was convinced that I had to, I had to deal with every issue immediately in the bluntest way that I could. And uh, I realized, thankfully, I had elders who who dealt with me about that. And <laughs> thank God I listened. But what the text that just. I mean, just broke my heart and frankly kept me awake many nights, is Paul telling Timothy, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves, if peradventure God should give them repentance, Mm. the acknowledgement of the truth. And, And I mean, every facet of that rich injunction uh, struck me, Dan. Um, yeah, so the the elder again, he's got to be one who listens. He's got to be apt to teach. And you're right; he's not. He's definitely not to be violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. Yeah, and Bill, I'm just looking at the time. I realize, oh my, this this is going quickly. We're just quickly. scratching the surface. We'll have to do a part two on this. <laughs> I, I think maybe we will. We've got maybe uh, three minutes, four minutes left. Um, maybe some summary thoughts today, Bill. You're a seasoned pastor now. You've been at this a long time. God has been using you in many ways. Advice maybe for, for younger elders in the church of, of how to conduct themselves. Yeah, well, I think I, two things. First of all, get the heart of the great shepherd. Uh, that is actually a prophecy in Jeremiah where the Lord says, I will raise up shepherds after my own heart. Mm. Um, who will who, who will instruct you or lead you with with knowledge and with wisdom, not just giving you instruction, but also they'll do it with skill. They'll do it wisely, and of course that's the glory that you know you know the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus. And that's the first thing is men, you know, reading the Gospels, um, uh, getting a sense of the heart of Christ for people. I, I, I think the the emotional life of our Lord is one of the things we can learn immensely from as elders. I think the second thing, and this would probably warrant, Dana, a whole a whole program at some future time, but it's profound. The elders who rule well are worthy of double honor. Uh, quite frankly, I'm, I'm even, even I think among many seminary graduates, there's not a grasp of what that means. Ruling is not 
is not legislating out of our own minds. Ruling is so understanding and opening up and applying the Word of God, which is the constitution of the Church, that you are ministering that Word to people in the Spirit of Christ. Uh, it's as if Christ himself comes to people and opens up the Word of God so that they're governed by it in his name, not by the dictates of, of tradition or the dictates of, of, of human legislation. That, frankly, Daniel, is, is one of the themes that grips me um, powerfully. Mm. Well, that's beautiful. Well, today we've been talking about the Church and those who God has put in place to rule the Church, to minister to it, to preach the Word of God. We mentioned mostly probably ruling elders, but included also, and this was teaching elders and pastors. And certainly, Bill, there's much more to discuss here, so I look forward maybe to a future time and talking with you more about this. Yeah. So if um, someone wants to contact you or learn about the church that you pastor, how would they go about doing that? Well, the easiest thing, I think, is to use my uh, OPC moniker. My last name is S-H-I, and another S-H-K-O, Shishko, and then it's dot, and then the digit one, at opc.org. So it's S-H-I-S-H-K-O, dot, the digit one, at opc.org. And I'd love to hear from people. I, I, it might take a while for me to get back to them, because I'm usually inundated with emails, but I'd, I'd love to hear from listeners, and this is one of my favorite topics, so I'd be happy <laughs> to at least parry the questions. Yeah, well, that's great. Again, that's shishko.1 at opc.org. And if someone still hasn't caught that, they can contact us here at the station. Bill, thank you so much for taking time from your busy schedule. And for our listeners, this broadcast is up on our website as a podcast. Please check it out. We're located at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. And for Redeemer Broadcasting, I'm Dan Elmendorf. Please join us next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. <laughs> 